I am so blessed to be at All People's Church today. What a sense of life in God is here. This is just fantastic. Robert and Stephanie, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I've got a real exciting thing happening in my life. Next month, I'll be married 50 years to the same woman. Hallelujah. Yeah. We both got married when we were seven years of age. Just kidding. <laughs> Truth is, I, two months, I turned 71 years of age. You know, I look back on my life. I, was, I grew up a religious kid. I was 11 years of age, and I was scared I'd go to hell. And I went to what was called, they call a revival service in those days. And I stood when they gave an opportunity because I just wanted God. I said yes to God. And even though I wasn't discipled, my life was a mess. I was religious. I wasn't really serving God properly. Something changed. Then when I was 18, I met this girl in high school, and her name was Laverne. She's now my wife, for what it's worth. And she knew God in a way I didn't know. But Jesus wasn't the Lord, the king of my life. And so I said yes to God again. And he changed me totally. I mean, all, all at once, I started to devour the word of God. I, I mean, I loved the book of Acts. And, and I would we, we'd meet with our friends at Bible studies. And it was the days of the Jesus movement, just hitting the East Coast. It started here, by the way, in this part of the world. And so again, I said yes to God. And then we realized we didn't have many friends who weren't believers. So we went to a local community where no one, based, no one I knew of, maybe one or two people, knew the Lord at all. And all these young people had all kind of issues in their lives. We started a youth ministry. God just gave me, just asked me, are we willing to reach these kids for Christ? And I said, yes. See, when you say yes to God, it's 1% yes, and then 99% Holy Spirit. Every time you say yes to God, you give God the opportunity to do things that go way beyond anything you would ever imagine. I mean, when I came to Christ and got married, I had a concern. My concern is I'd become mentally ill. And why? Because my family were in and out of mental hospitals. I mean, my own father, who I love dearly, is now with the Lord. Uh, my, my grandfather, my uncles and aunts. And I thought, that's going to probably happen to me. Until one day I studied the scriptures and saw in Galatians 3 and 13 that Jesus became a curse for me. And it curses everyone who hung on a tree. And I realized that mental illness from my background was hung on a tree 2,000 years ago. And I simply said yes to God. And guess what? I've never been mentally ill, and I'm not mentally ill today by the grace of God. Now, why am I sharing this? Because you and I are all on a journey. Regardless of whether you're walking with God for 40 years, or you're walking with God for one week, or you're not walking with God yet, you're on this journey. And it just takes us the willingness to say, yes, just yes. See, how did we end up with you know, leading this movement of over 1,000 churches? Well, because these young people needed they came to Christ and had a Bible study, and they needed a church. They weren't fitting into local churches. So God asked me if I'm willing to start something new, and I said yes to God. So it was, again, 1% yes, and the rest was 99% God. I mean, it's just been God. You have to understand. And that sounds like a big deal, a 1,000 churches. You have to understand something. I grew up a farm boy in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I grew up a chicken farmer. That's my credentials. I didn't even have a degree until I was 60 years of age. And I got my master's when I was 60. I thought it might be a good idea to do that. I did it backwards, but I got it. But all I'm saying is that it's just, I look back at my life, and it was just saying yes to God, yes to God. So I said, yes, we started this little church of 25 people. And then we, it started to grow. And my, my wife I just I was telling Robert yesterday, my wife one day said, if by the time we're 80, think maybe this church could grow to 200. Wouldn't that be amazing? I said, that'd be awesome. Again, speaking as a chicken farmer. And 
Somehow, by God's grace, it started to grow, and every, every year we're adding 300 people and 300 people. You have to understand, we don't live in the metropolis of San Diego. We live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Our claim to fame was Harrison Ford's early movie, The Witness. If you ever saw that, those of you who are old like me, you might remember that. That's where we grew up. I mean, it's cows and pigs and chickens, a few people. And somehow this church grew to a couple thousand people. It was just because we said yes and others with us. It wasn't just us, said yes. And then the Lord really tested me because I wanted to quit because it got so hard, and I shared some of this yesterday. I just wanted to quit. It got so hard, and, and, and God spoke to me, and he said, since I called you and you're not uncalled, you need to continue to obey me. And I said yes. See, keep saying yes to God. Say yes to God, regardless of where you're at in your journey in life. And then this one multi-site church that we had of a couple of thousand, God spoke to us and said, decentralize it and really become a family of churches and start planting churches around the world. We had a few. And we said yes to God. And somehow, as I look back over, the la- over these last years, it's now been like 41 years since we started the church, and see what God has done, it blows me away. And now I had to say yes to God again because... Just a few years ago, the Lord said, now it's time to turn this over to somebody younger. And I like what I do. I love what I do. But I knew I have to say yes to God. As I said yes, and now in a couple years, it'll be somebody younger than me, smarter than me, (laughs) better looking than me, who will be leading our movement with a whole team of people. But see, I had a yes to God, and he says yes to God. So it's so important that we learn to say yes to God. I'm going to talk to you about redigging the wells of revival today, and I'm going to share with you that... Please say yes to God. Say yes, Lord. I want revival in my own heart. I love Acts 2, 17 and 18. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even of my servants, both men and women. I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So we're going to talk about this morning, I want to talk to you about revival. I'm going to talk to you about how we can redig the wells of revival. And this scripture was fulfilled in the early church. It was fulfilled many times throughout history, and it's going to be fulfilled on the west coast of the United States again. God's going to pour out his spirit in all flesh. Again, we love you guys. We thank God for California. We thank God for all that God's done. Azusa Street, Southern California. I mean, Holy Spirit poured out. Assemblies of God. Southern California, our friends in YWAM, it all started, Lauren, Cunningham, Southern California, great, you know, I mean, on and on. The Jesus movement. Let me tell you about the Jesus movement. For the, let me tell you what it was like in the East Coast. Because we read, and we, you know, again, we didn't have internet back in those days. We didn't have a clue what that would be. But we just had the newspaper, and we read about this move of God among young people in California. They were called hippies and Jesus people. And somehow, in Southern California, something was happening. They had no, no Christian background. They were coming to Christ. They were getting out of their, their, their drugs and all they were into. And we said, man, we want that here. We started to pray, God, bring that east, bring that east. And guess what? That Jesus movement came east. And again, farming country, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, barns. We, you know, we, we, we don't have tents. We have barns. So <laughs> barns filled with young people on fire for God. I mean, I, I tell you, you could spit on the pavement and people came to Christ. It was amazing. It was just this move of God. But people were praying. I never saw prayer like prayer meetings like that. People were praying that God would come, that God would visit us. We'd see the same movement of God in our area in the East Coast that you guys had on the West Coast. So I have this sneaking suspicion God's, as they say in Texas, is fixing to do it again. And I believe he's going to do it in California. We need you, California, Southern California. 
And the rest of the nation needs you, and so does, so does the whole world. So now, what does it take to see revival? What does it take to redig wells of revival, and what does that mean? Well, first of all, let me say this. God takes us through evaluation processes. One of the great revivalists was Charles Finney back in the 1700s. My favorite book of all time, next to the Bible, is called The Autobiography of Charles Finney. Because I'm sorry, that's my second favorite. My favorite... And my favorite one next to, next to the Bible is Revival Lectures by Charles Finney. Charles Finney, after he saw so much revival, and Charles Finney in, in the East Coast, and most of this was in the East Coast, he came to Lancaster, he came to our area, but a lot of it was New York State, and he had a friend named Father Nash, and Father Nash had such a heart for revival, and you know what I'm talking about. And he'd go into a town like for a month before Charles Finney came, and he just get a hotel room or somebody's house and just pray and pray and pray and pray and weep and pray. And when Charles Finney came in, God came. I mean, there's examples of he, he crossed the bridge into the towns like Rochester, New York, and the whole town, the whole town experienced the presence of God. It was amazing. Factories were closing down. And people just sensed God, and they, they, were, they had this sense of conviction for their sin. It was just a, a God thing. It was something God was doing. And Charles Finney, you know, says often, he used to say, you know, don't just think it'll just happen. He said, revivals don't just happen. He said, it's like talking to a farmer and saying, well, don't plant your corn, don't plant your crops, it'll just happen. That's just craziness, he said. No, he said, you simply need to sow so you can reap. We sow through prayer. We sow through belief. We sow through getting our hearts ready for the revival that's coming. Now, let's look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. And we see here... The Lord does three things. He gives us his affirmation. The Lord, I mean, the, the, the love of the Father is so amazing. He always affirms us first. And then he gives affirmation, and then he tells us his concern, and then he gives us steps to change. Now, look at this, and I'm calling this God's evaluation. You know, you probably go to the doctor every year. At least you should to get an evaluation. Rob, I don't know what you do in California. Where I live in Pennsylvania, we take our car to do the garage for an inspection evaluation every year. There's certain things we do. We have evaluations. God's calling us to a spiritual evaluation this morning. Now, let me read this for you, read this with you. I know your deeds, verse 2, your hard work and your perseverance. I know you do not tolerate evil, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. So God says, you're doing a lot of things right. This is awesome. You're doing this really well. Then he says, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Or some translations say you've left your first love. And that's a real concern to the Lord. And then he doesn't let us hang there. He then says, I'm going to give you steps to change to see things by saying yes. What are the steps to change? He says, here's what you do. Consider how far you've fallen. Acknowledge where you are spiritually. Become self-aware. Repent. And do the things you did at first. Repent means turn around, choose to change your behavior. And he says, and do the things you did at first. What did you do when you deeply loved God? If you're here this morning, you're a Christian for a week, you know, you're just right in the beginnings of walking with God. And, you know, God's going to take you through all kinds of amazing things that you grow in him. It's going to be awesome as he plants you either here or some other part of the world. But if you've been a Christian for a while, I want you to know what God's, God wants to do is he wants us to make sure we love Jesus more today than any time in our life. That's my question. Do you love Jesus more today than any time in your life? Is there ever a time in your life 
when you feel like you were closer to God, closer to Jesus than today? If so, there's probably something blocking that. That's why we simply repent and say, Lord, what is that? So we can return to our first love. Now, many men stop dating their wives and wonder why their marriages are in trouble. Well, it's because you say, well, we're no longer in love. Why? Because they are not doing the things they did at first. The same thing is true with our own spiritual lives. What are those things God's calling us to do? And then he says, or your lampstand can be taken from its place. I want to explain that. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It simply means the call of God in your life, the purpose of God for your life, that which he's called you to, he'll give it to somebody else. He's going to fulfill his purposes. That's the lampstand being taken from its place. So why is this important to understand? Because God is calling us to live lives of revival. There are so many evaluation scriptures that we can look at. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test. Again, back to the yearly inspection. Psalms 26 and verse 2, test me and try me. Examine my heart and my soul. Psalms 85 and verse 6, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, listen closely. Revival, corporate revival, begins with personal revival. Corporate revival, if you want to see revival in this city, and God wants to send revival to the city, it starts with personal revival. It starts with each of us, personal revival. And I'm speaking this to you. I'm speaking it to me, to all of us, because all of us need needs to take steps to find personal revival. Now, I'm going to read a story from the book of, of uh, Genesis about Isaac redigging wells. And we're going to talk about how do we redig our spiritual wells. I'm going to explain this to you this morning. Genesis 26, starting in verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Verse 13, the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. So he had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. And verse 15 says, so all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped them up, filling them with earth. Now, let's just look at that for a moment. What happened? His father, godly Abraham, everywhere they went, they needed water. They dug wells. And the Philistines were envious and didn't like what was going on. They were the enemies of God. The enemies of God today would do the same to us, but try to stop up our wells, our spiritual wells. And how, how would they do that? could be through doubt, could be through unbelief, could be through gossip, could be through fear, could be through whatever. And many people, they have their, their, there's been a well, even wells in regions, spiritual wells in regions, like right here. You've had this deep spiritual well in this region, and God wants to redig that, uncover that, so you can have a well of revival. And, and so the Philistines stopped them up, filled them with earth, and in verse 16, Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, you become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away and camped in the valley of Gerer and settled there. So Isaac, listen to this. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abram died and gave them the same names his father had given them. So Isaac said, look, there used to be a well here that had water, and right now there's no water. Now I'm going to do whatever it takes to unclog that well so that, again, there's water coming on a Tisian well coming up from the ground. Same thing is true with us. What happens? Every time there's a revival, there's a period often in history where the wells get clogged up. Individual wells and corporate wells get clogged up. And God's saying, no, we're going to reopen those wells. So they, they, they continue. If you look at the rest of the chapter, they continue to build dig wells. 19, Isaac's servants dug a well in the valley. 
discovered a well of fresh water, a new well. So you, you and I are called to dig new wells, experience God in ways we never had before, and also redig wells where we experienced God in the past, but whereby we may have been, been lax because of the enemy trying to clog our wells. But the, herd, the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac, in verse 20, said, the water's ours. They named it Esek. And then 21, they dug another well. They quarreled about that one. And 32, he moved on from there and dug another one. See, he dug wells and wells and wells and wells. Unclogging wells, old wells, and also new wells. He went to Beersheba in 24. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll bless you. I'll increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. I want you to know that God wants to increase your number. You were called to be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to a generation we live in right now. And this is for everybody. If you're a CEO at a bank, if you're in college, if you're in high school, if you're a housewife, if you're a pastor, you're whatever role. If you're a used car salesman, this applies to you. God wants to see our wealth so, so that we are so full of God, so full of Jesus. Not religious. Religious is, we get religious when we get our wells clogged. But the flow of God coming from our lives, and we can see spiritual sons and spiritual daughters, people we lead to Christ, people we help grow in God. That's why you have life groups in this church, and we see people grow in God. And guess what? Your spiritual sons and daughters We'll go to nations, and this is a church that's sending people to the nations. And I'm sure many of some of you were here. There are people who are right here in this tent today, and they were spiritual fathers and mothers to you. We're all called to do that. Why? So we can continue to see our lineage grow that God's given us. And then 25, Isaac built an altar here and called the name of the Lord. He pitched the tent, and get this, then his servants dug wells. When you dig wells, you're preparing the way for others. It's not about us. We say yes to God for the next generation. We say yes to God for not only our natural children, but spiritual children. You know, I, again, I'm privileged to be almost 71 years of age, and I love Jesus today more than ever before. And I look back at my life, it's just been the grace of God. It's been amazing. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about Robert. There's nothing special about those in leadership. We just love Jesus. We can all see our wells undug, and we can all see major victories come in Jesus' name. Amen? Now, our wells get clogged. You say, How? Oh, it takes us one disappointment. You have one idea of something you think God's going to do, and he doesn't do it the way you think, or something somebody else is going to do, and they don't do it the way you think they should. It's disappointment. Or it could be, it could be disappointment. It could be fear. It could be we just get religious. You know, we, get, we no longer have the river flowing from us. We become like a cistern. Let me ask you a question. Are you a spiritual well, or are you a spiritual cistern? They say, what's the difference? Well, let me show you. Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they've forsaken me, God said, and then the spring of living water. And number two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What is a spiritual cistern? It's when we're doing religious stuff, not because it's coming from the heart of Jesus coming and flowing through us, rivers of living water coming from our innermost being. We're doing it just because we learned how to be religious. And you can be charismatically religious, you can be fundamentally religious. There's many ways to be religious. And God's calling us not to be cisterns. He's calling us to be wells. He's calling us to redig spiritual wells. As I quoted John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Let me explain the cistern to you. You may not know what that is. You may. We have cisterns where I live. At our house where I live in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we have a cistern. I'll tell you why we have it. Let me tell you what a cistern is first. A cistern is a hole in the ground or a big tub or something that's made with cement blocks, 
that you hold water in, and then when you, it comes off the roof of your house, goes into that, and then when you need to you do your washing, you need to do your cooking, you need to do whatever, drink water, you get it out of the cistern. It tastes terrible. It's leftover. It's been there a long time. It's horrible. The reason we had a cistern is we dug two wells. We don't live near a city. We don't have city water. And we dug two wells, and the wells we dug had basically no water. They called them soak wells. Little water would seep in. And we were constantly, we were spending thousands of dollars buying water and big trucks coming, filling up our cistern. And it became so discouraging. And one day I heard that right in a city near where we live called Reading, Pennsylvania, Reading Railroad, all right? The city in Reading, Pennsylvania, there's somebody who did what's called hydrofracking. It wasn't fracking for oil, it was fracking for water. And I called this guy and he said, yep, he said, we'll get you all the water you need. He came to our house, brought this big, big equipment, this big machine. And it was like a big well driller. And somehow they forced air and water into our well. And what happened was it kind of shattered some of the arteries, the water arteries. And we had water coming out of them. It was like an artesian well. It was amazing. My wife's crying. She's so happy. She finally has water, real water. And we haven't, bought, we haven't bought, spent one penny for water since that. It happened about 12 or 14 years ago. But see, we went from a cistern to rivers of living water flowing. And we can either be a cistern, a spiritual cistern, where we're just, we heard this and we read this and we kind of experienced this two years ago and we're living back there, a spiritual cistern. Yeah, it's truth, but it's coming from a cistern. They're coming from rivers of living water. That's why the question is, do we love Jesus more today than ever before? When we're in love with Jesus, there's rivers of living water coming from our innermost being. Do you get it? That God's calling. This is what revival is all about. So sometimes we call an awakened relationship with Jesus a personal revival. And God wants us to experience personal revival and also experience corporate revival. God wants to bring revival to the city. I mean, California, the whole, the whole nation knows, is desperately in need of revival. We all know that right? And you're living here. You're the soul of the earth right here. And so I'm just challenging us today. I believe God's challenging all of us, me, all of us, to, to check our own hearts, do an examination. Where's there time we love Jesus more than today? Are we living with rivers of living water flowing from innermost being? And all we do is position ourselves to God. We say, Lord, is there anything that's clogged up my well? Anything in here that's clogged it up? When God shows us what it is, we repent, we give it to the Lord, and all at once, we're living a life with Jesus that's blowing our minds. Why? Because there's rivers of living water flowing from our innermost being. Habakkuk 2, 3 and 2. Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. Habakkuk 5 and verse 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, I mentioned the Jesus movement earlier, and I just want to quote, just mention again. When the Jesus movement hit our area, I mean, people were just hungry for God. High schools opened up. We had Bible studies in high schools. I was, going, I was asked to go into high schools. I was in my mid-20s or early 30s and minister to kids, see them baptized with the Holy Spirit, come under the Lordship of Christ in public high schools. This is the kind of stuff that was going on. I know things have changed in some ways in our nation, but I just want you to know that God is ready to give us a fresh wind, a fresh wind to blow. And, you know, you know, it's kind of like this. As a farm kid, you know, we desperately needed rain. If we didn't have rain, we couldn't grow crops. But in order to get ready for the rain, we had to, the Bible says, break up your fallow ground. You may have read that, read that yourself, Hosea 10 and verse 12. And 
you know, fallow ground is hard ground. If it's not plowed up, when the rain comes, you lose it all. But when it's open, you get crops, and it's awesome. And so you can sometimes almost smell the rain coming. Let me get real. Our nation right now, these stats I found blow my mind. Basically, it's this. The greatest generation, which was the World War, those born in World War II or before, uh, 65% were Bible-based believers. Baby boomers, that's my generation. We really messed it up. 35% Bible believers. Generation X, 16% Bible-based believers. Millennials, 4%. And now Gen Z is on the rise. I'm going to talk to you about Gen Z. Gen Z is born late 1900s, early 2000s. I have never seen young people so hungry for God as Gen Z generation. And I travel throughout our nation. It's amazing what God is doing among a young generation. And there's a new move of God coming. It's going to be, we'll all be involved because God wants to use all of us. But let's get behind a younger generation. I mean, we just, we just did a few weeks ago, right near, I mentioned Reading Railroad, Reading, Pennsylvania, did an outreach, a group of young people. There's about 80 young people Went to Reading, Pennsylvania a couple days, witnessed 1,000 people, over 100 came to Christ. I've seen more people baptized, young people baptized in the last three or four or five months in places I've been than I've seen for many, many, many years. There's something fresh and new that God is doing, and we need to get ready for the next generation. And let me warn those who are my age, or maybe not my age, but you're older, and you experienced the move of God before. Every move of God is different. There's some similarities, but let's not expect the next move of God to look exactly like the last move of God. But we want to see, but we want to make sure we're moving from cistern Christianity to open well Christianity, rivers of living water flowing from our innermost being. So, now here's the deal. I remember as a farm boy, man, I, I, you get, there's times when you needed rain desperately. We plowed our fields and got ready, and you could kind of smell it in the air. Say, man, I, I smell, I smell, the, I smell the rain coming. The rain is coming, and it's going to be amazing. God's going to do an amazing thing. And you know, that's kind of the way it is today. I can smell it in the air, and I can smell it in the air in Southern California. God is going to bring a move of God, I believe, to this not only your city, but I believe to this state, especially Southern California. He's done it in the past. Why would He not do it again? I don't have time to give it to you, but I would love. You know, I wrote a book some years back called Building Your Personal House of Prayer. And in that book, in the back, I've got a whole chapter on moves of God and how that happened. People like Charles Finney and, you know, others in our, in our nation. And even those who brought, you know, Methodism, you know, Francis Asbury. You know, Francis Asbury, you know, Asbury Seminary. I was just at uh, Asbury Park, which is uh, the town that the town named after him in the East Coast just a few weeks ago. Francis Asbury, when he was like six years of, of excuse me, six years of age, began to preach. He was from England, and and his his spiritual father, who was uh, John Wesley, said, "We need someone to go to America." He said, "I'll go." And he wasn't six; he was like a teenager, early twenties. He said, "I'll go," and they thought he wasn't ready, and they finally sent him. And he literally, God used that man to bring revival to our nation. It was amazing what God did in him and through him in, in the in the years that, that he lived. Now, why is it important to, to share? In fact, let me share this with you. In fact, Methodism in America grew from 5,000 in 1776 to 214,000 just because this one man said yes. He said yes. He said yes to God. And so we want to continue to say yes to God. 
I, I hear the hearts of your leadership. We're going to believe God for amazing things. I, I got this statistic recently that blew my mind. Atlantic City, New Jersey, more than 100 years ago, had a move of God. It was probably 150 or more years ago, had a move of God. Out of 60,000 people, there were only 50 who were unconverted. Imagine living in Atlantic City. 50 people unconverted. I mean, everywhere you go, is all these people. Yeah. You see, these are the kinds of things, and again, I don't have time to give you all the details. Study church history. See the amazing things God's done in the past, because I want you to know God wants to do it again. In the 1800s, there were a time when businessmen by the thousands in New York were praying. I mean, it was over the time California was becoming a state, basically, and businessmen were praying and just removes of God among the business community. I mean, the Supreme Court closed down one time because people needed to take time to pray. It was just blows your mind. But this is what God's done in the past, and he wants to do it again. So we need personal revival. We need corporate revival. And I believe God's going to do it. Amen? So let's get back to the first scriptures we looked at, and I'll bring it to a close. The first scriptures we looked at in, Re- in Revelation chapter 2, yet I hold this one thing against you, You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. And our response is to acknowledge where we are spiritually. Say, Lord, I mean, I'm not saying you're not a believer. Of course you're a believer. Of course you love Jesus. But there's something about being desperate for God. You know, the violent take it by force. There's something about being desperate for God. God wants us. I mean, there's a holy desperation, not a striving, not a fleshly desperation, but a holy desperation saying, Lord, I want to enter into your courts, and I want, to, I want you to examine me, and I want to see where my heart's really at. Are the things that you want to change? It could be one small thing. And then, Lord, as I change that, and we all change that, and we get our ground, so to speak, released so the wind can come and the rain can come, we're saying, Lord, I no longer want to be a cistern. I don't want to be a spiritual cistern. I want to be a well where living water flows from my innermost being. And again, our response, acknowledge where we're at spiritually, become self-aware, repent, and then turn around and choose to change our behavior. Do what we did when we first truly did love God in simplicity. I believe God's calling us today to take an evaluation. And again, I challenge you. Read stories of moves of God. They're easy to find on the Internet. Read it. It will challenge your heart. And it will take us from a mentality of, having, of becoming a spiritual system where we could be and becoming a spiritual well where rivers of living water come from our innermost being for the glory of God.